Imagine that you could see into the mind of God, right into the core of his deepest desires for you. What would you see? Well, today's verses offer just such a window. Isaiah the prophet speaks them to a people newly returned from exile who should feel home. But for all their rejoicing at their return, the end of exile has not ended their problems. It has not ended the fundamental things wrong with their world. Just as at the end of lockdown, when we finally arrive there and there will be clearly huge relief, it's not going to be the end of our problems. It's not going to have solved the fundamental issues of the world that were there before COVID struck. It won't end what I would call the crack at the heart of creation. No, there's a deeper work that is needed for the people of God at the time of the end of exile and that is needed for us. And that work involves the coming of a saviour. A deeper work inspired by God's three desires for us revealed in this passage, which are in relation to who we are and what we do and how we are to flourish. So let's see then the first of God's three desires for us in this passage being worked out through the coming of Jesus, this Savior. And the first thing is, is that through his coming, we are renamed. We're renamed. Isaiah says of those touched by Jesus, they will be called oaks of righteousness. They are given a new name. The message translation goes like this. Rename them oaks of righteousness planted by God to display his glory. Now, names are identity markers. We can seek to try and make a name for ourselves in the world. We can have other people foist names upon us. But we need a new name. We need a name that comes from God that goes deeper than any human name. An old English legend tells of two brothers who were caught for sheep stealing. And they were hauled up in front of the authorities and both of them had the words, the letters S-T, branded onto their foreheads. Their shame was visible to everybody. And it was too much for one brother. He disappeared from that community, never to be seen again. And the other brother, the other brother met God and his life was changed. Despised and rejected by others, he started doing simple acts of loving service for those in the community. He helped many who'd formerly scorned him. And he poured out his heart and he poured out his service to help those who were at the sharp end. And decades later, a new family came to live in that town and two little boys brothers themselves watched this old man with the letters ST branded in his forehead going endlessly around faithfully helping other people 
And they wondered about those letters until one of them finally turned to the other and said, of course, saint. Living out a name given us by God brings new life. So why an oak of righteousness? Well, righteousness really means being right with God. Right with him because in relationship with him, through Jesus Christ, his son, and therefore, because of that right relationship, in right relationship with those around us. And we can try to make ourselves right with God by seeking to earn his favor, or do penance, or morally improve ourselves. But the Bible shows that these always fail, because our best efforts cannot bridge the gap between a holy God and ourselves. By contrast, speaking of Jesus in 2 Corinthians 5.21, St. Paul says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The life of Jesus, the oak of righteousness, is felled on the cross so that we can stand tall as oaks of righteousness ourselves. It's like this. A former rector of St. Aldate's, Michael Green, was ministering in a prison in India some decades ago. He was there in his spotless white surplus, and in front of him, the prisoners stood in filthy rags. And he preached to them about the love of God and about the coming of Jesus and his death for us on the cross. And then he looked at one prisoner who was particularly moved, and he invited that prisoner to join him on the platform and to take off the shirt that was on him, these filthy rags. And as he did so, Michael Green took off his own white surplus, and he put on the man's ragged shirt himself, and put the white surplus upon the prisoner. And the prisoners erupted in joy and celebration as they understood what Jesus had come to do. That's the wonderful exchange that takes place at the cross. Christ's robes for our rags by God's grace. Jesus was nailed to a cursed tree so you can stand tall as a mighty oak. He is the righteousness for everyone who believes. Anyone who trusts in him, the Bible says, will never be put to shame. And this new name is given to us as pure gift. In the Hebrew, the literal meaning of they will be called oaks of righteousness is it is called unto them. We're given something from outside ourselves. We don't find our identity by self-defining. We don't find it by what sociologists call expressive individualism. No, we receive our identities in Christ. In my early adult life, after I'd rejected Christianity in my first term at university, I sought to self-define 
and establish a name for myself through my work as a theatre director. And I was successful for a while, and I ran on the steam of my personal ambition. But several things, the unexpected sudden death of my father, work difficulties and depression, all led me to deeply question who I was and what I was here for. And that path of expressive individualism, trying on different selves, didn't seem to be bringing me the security and stability and peace that had been promised. By my early 30s, I'd, I'd meet friends socially, and they would have all kinds of opinions on all manner of things. And I'd chip in with my opinion, but I remember thinking within myself, I, I do not have a clue what I believe about anything. Until one day, the terrifying phrase dropped into my mind, lost soul, lost soul. And then around midnight, shortly after that, I was watching a television program about the Alpha Course, out of the blue. And I heard a speaker talking. And one part of the message struck me particularly, that we find our identity in relationship and in the one who provides ultimate relationship. We're not designed to self-define, we find who we are through relationship with God. And the next morning, I rang, ran a, rung a church, and I signed up for an Alpha course, and I took it, and I heard the gospel preached. I'd never heard it before. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I received a new identity as God's beloved son. I wasn't trying to self-create anymore. I knew who I was. I'd been renamed. God had renamed me my beloved son. And that's who you are if you follow Jesus. You're his beloved son or daughter. But you and I are also oaks of righteousness that's how Jesus renames us in this passage. How can we be confident that this is true? Well, let me take you forward in time to the Nazareth synagogue in Luke 4, where Jesus stands up, reads from this very passage in Isaiah 61, and declares, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That is, that is who I am, and that is what I do. I come to transform lives. Now, if Jesus opens that reading wherever he wants, it's one thing. Him claiming his ministry by finding an appropriate scripture. But almost certainly, this was the set reading of the day. And when we realize this, we see God at work in a truly extraordinary way bringing about a remarkable conjunction in time between inspired words written 750 years earlier and the arrival of God's Son in his earthly ministry. These words of Isaiah 61 are the very words of God, inspired by Jesus himself 
before his birth. They describe how he sees his people, how he sees us. There are no ifs, there are no buts. Jesus' words are categorical. They will be called oaks of righteousness. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will renew the ruined cities. That's a threefold underlining. When we follow Jesus, our identity and our calling are never in doubt. We are oaks of righteousness, made right with God and making right the lives of others and the places around us. So firstly, we're renamed. Secondly, through the coming of Jesus as the anointed servant, we're replanted. What does it mean to be an oak of righteousness? Well, it means to be built up in holiness. It's, it's not an image of perfection. It's an image of steady growth. Jesus comes as our rescuer. He wins us by a one-time act and by our one-time profession of faith. That's salvation. But he also goes on to make us holier, step by step. In the grounds of Blenheim Palace near Oxford, there stand ancient oaks. And the experts reckon that the oldest one is 1,051 years old. It's probably the oldest oak in Britain. That means the acorn from which it grew first cracked open in 970 AD. Isn't that awesome? Now, the English love oak trees. They're symbols of strength. They're symbols of majesty. They're often called the monarch of the woods. In Blenheim, you can also see a tree called the Whomping Willow. And the Whomping Willow, of course, was used for a scene in one of the Harry Potter films. And it's actually a oak, a cedar of Jerusalem tree with a hollowed out trunk. Disease and rot entered the trunk at some point. And special cable supports tied from its branches tether that tree and keep it in place, preventing it from collapsing. And before I came to faith, I was like that whomping willow. My life was probably quite interesting to look at from the outside, a bit like that tree. But there was nothing at the core. There was no trunk. There was very little to stop me from collapsing when the going got rough. Oak or whomping willow, what would you rather be? What else does this God-inspired image of the oak tell us? Well, it declares that we're rooted and established in love. Giant oak trees actually have root systems that can go to two and a half times their height. That's a lot of Christ's love to draw nourishment from. And our trunk grows and flourishes on the word and spirit. The rings of an oak tree, if you bisect its trunk, reveal, of course, that it's in a continual state of growth. We've been made right with God by Jesus' death on the cross, but we're also being led into a place of growing holiness. Isaiah also tells us in this passage that this growing, this growing in spiritual depth, it's 
none of our achieving. We're a planting of the Lord, he says, for the display of his splendor. We don't plant ourselves. This isn't a self-improvement program. This isn't seven steps to a fulfilled life. And because God is the gardener, we become the display of his glory, not ours. Glory is the alternative word for splendor in many of the translations. The, translate, the transformation in us, it's not by our making. It is only by God's. In Hosea 14.8, God pictures himself as a tree and says, your fruitfulness comes from me. So, the idea is that God grows us, and as we change, people should begin to ask questions. I've got an app on my phone, and you point it at the leaf of a tree, and it tells you what type of tree it is, and about its various characteristics. When you point that app at one of us, it should say, oak of righteousness, family, kingdom of God, preferred soil, word and spirit. I remember meeting an amazing American scientist with a strong faith called Francis Collins. He was the director of the Human Genome Project and I had the privilege of filming an interview with him. And he took us through the slow evolution of his faith from the time when he was a medical student. And it was very much small beginnings from an acorn. But he grew and he became a sapling of righteousness. And then he became a young oak. And then he fast became a mature oak. And as he talked to us, Collins not only exuded scientific rigor and a burning faith, but also a real holiness of character. And a few years later, I was moved to read that he'd struck up a great friendship with the dying atheist writer, Christopher Hitchens. No friend of Christianity at all. They'd originally debated God at a public conference together, and Collins now reached out to Christopher Hitchens to say, let me see if I can help with a genetic diagnosis of your particular cancer and to see if there's any gene therapy that I can advise on. And Christopher Hitchens, big man, belligerent man, not the gentlest of souls, said before his death that their friendship together was one of the nicest armed truces it had ever been his pleasure to observe. At Hitchens' memorial service, surrounded by people hostile to the Christian faith, Francis Collins got up on stage and on the piano performed a sonata that he'd composed himself for his dying friend. Kindness, compassion, Love, the fruit of a beautiful heart, a heart of oak. And it began with an acorn. What stops us 
growing. Maybe you find it hard to sense spiritual growth in yourself at present. Well, the reasons can be many. Our thoughts and actions miss the mark. We believe lies about ourselves. We see ourselves than less than who God knows us to be. Our faith grows cold. But whatever the diagnosis, the solution is always the same. Come back to the anointed one. Come back to Jesus on the cross. Talk with him, whether in confession or asking him your searching questions. Claim his promises in Isaiah 61 to comfort you in mourning over any sin, to bind up your broken heart, to turn your despair into praise. Come to him in poverty of spirit so that he can preach good news to the poor again. Good news to the deepest parts of our soul. And every time this happens, you're renewed in your love for Jesus. You're made holy in Jesus. You become more like Jesus. And he anoints you to go forth with a new sense of purpose, reflecting God's splendor and carrying his glory. And then thirdly, what we see in this passage is that we are rebuilt so that we can rebuild others. As the oak tree grows, it, it branches out. It extends its influence in the world. It actually comes to shelter a whole variety of other life forms. And scripture has first mentioned an oak tree in Genesis chapter 12, when Abraham builds an altar to God. He's just arrived in Canaan, having been promised descendants and a land. And he builds that altar under a mighty oak. So the oak tree in Isaiah echoes the oak tree in Genesis. It tells in Genesis that Abraham and his descendants are to occupy and to redeem the land. And Isaiah shifts the metaphor now from us as oak trees to us as rebuilders to underline our increasing influence. God himself is a builder. A few years ago, we had a, a children's holiday club here called The Big Build. It was about the storyline of the Bible. But God doesn't just build. He also rebuilds. Back in 1987, an influential evangelical pastor in America, Gordon MacDonald, fell after an inappropriate relationship. The fallout had a devastating impact on him, his wife, his children, and the wider church. But he went on to write a remarkable book, Rebuilding Your Broken World. It was about his faith journey back from failure. And despite its title, it was really about how God rebuilt McDonald's world. McDonald's says we are all broken world people. Because in the words of Isaiah, we have all sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Every biblical character of note, if you begin to think about it, has had some experience of a broken world, of their world imploding, whether as a result of their actions 
or others, or simply the storms of life. Accident, illness, bereavement, financial struggles, depression. But through the cross, God's grace to rebuild is always available to us. God rebuilds the temple in the book of Ezra. He rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem in the book of Nehemiah. He rebuilds creation itself at the end of the Bible. And he rebuilds his people throughout human history. He rebuilt the life of Gordon MacDonald, who's gone on to become the pastor of pastors. And God is here with power in this church and in your homes for rebuilding today. The first part of Jesus' life before his public ministry is all about building, it's all about repairing. It defines who he is and what he does. And his and his father, they don't, they don't walk through the rubble of our lives like archaeologists, kind of just objectively pouring over us. Nor do they dispose of that rubble. They reuse it. They refashion it. They don't throw out any of the broken bits because that's the very material that they made us with and that they love us for. The material just needs reworking. In John 21, one of my favorite scenes in Scripture, Jesus appears on the shore of the Lake of Galilee to his follower Peter, who's denied him three times. And he draws close to Peter. And he gives Peter three opportunities to declare his love for Jesus. And then he reissues his call to Peter. Jesus restores a man and then we turn the page and we see Jesus, Jesus' followers, Peter and the other apostles going out to evangelize the world. Transformed to transform. Rebuilt to rebuild. Renewed to renew. And as it is with Peter, so it is with us. As a young theater director without a faith, I was appointed artistic director of the Crucible Theater in Sheffield, where the snooker comes from. And I was probably the youngest artistic director of a UK theater that size at the time. And it was all so full of promise. And then 20 months later, I resigned. Why? A combination of factors. The impact of depression, continuing bereavement following my father's death, Wamping Willow Syndrome, and fear. And I returned to London and the depression worsened. I sought to re-establish my freelance career, and I did. But every time I helmed a big production, panic attacks threatened. And then I came to faith, and I became a follower of Jesus. I was renamed I was replanted, and healing came, and the panic attacks faded. But a haunting internal question 
remained. Had the crucible just been beyond me, was I not meant to lead in that way? And that was a question that followed me into my six months leading here before we welcomed Stephen. And the church wardens will probably be grateful that they didn't know that before that time. And what God showed me was that my fear was without foundation. He rebuilt my broken world long ago, under the surface, in the hidden place, by his grace and for his glory. He rebuilt me, he can rebuild you. Wherever you feel defined by failure or disappointment or doubt or depression or addiction, and he does that to make you a rebuilder of others. God takes the crumbling ruins of our lives and makes something wonderful out of them. I'll end with this. In the courtyard of Blenheim Palace, they sell 18-inch oak saplings in pots. And the branding on the tag says this, grow your own legacy. Nurture a Blenheim oak sapling taken from our ancient oak forest. And that's pure Isaiah 61. Get renamed and rooted in Christ. Put down deep roots and draw on the love of Christ. Grow your own legacy and release your gift to help and to extend the love of God to others. So the spirit of the sovereign Lord is here today for healing and in power. 